it's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Elvis Presley once said, Truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. I'm Rick, (laughs) and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com or our social media channels. Download some after-episode extras, such as our thorough CQ Rewind show notes and our bonus Bible study questions available on our individual episode pages. And look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what's the subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, are Christians really born again? And our theme text is found in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so are Christians born again? The Christian belief in being born again can be at the very least confusing. Does it mean you get a restart on your life, kind of like a do-over? Is it being beginning a brand new life that is lived in a brand new context? Does being born again mean you're the same person with the same issues, or are you somebody different? Is it living a new spiritual life in place of our present physical life? Does being born again actually mean what we think it means? Well, coming up in today's podcast, as Christians, we always want to do the things we need to do to get to heaven. So, is proclaiming you are born again one of those right things? In segments one and two, we take apart those two little words, born again, to see what they actually mean, and the answer is actually very surprising. Nicodemus, the guy Jesus is explaining this whole thing to, is confused. Jesus does something that no one ever talks about to help him understand. Find out what it is in segment three. It really is fascinating. Did you ever read the Bible and just scratch your head and think, what does that mean? We come across one of Jesus' apparent head-scratching statements in segment four and dig in to actually see what it does mean. So finally, does the confused Nicodemus end up getting it? Well, you'll find out in segment five. Rick, to figure all of this out, we need to not only have a clear understanding of context, we also need to have a good sense of some specific Greek words and how they are used. Okay, so this is going to be a real Bible study in terms of understanding what does it mean to be born again. The whole born-again belief begins with this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. So folks, if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. We're going to really park ourselves in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, go to a few other verses throughout, but we're really going to keep coming back there again and again and again. So Jonathan, let's get started. Let's look at John 3, verses 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Okay, so Jesus' entire answer that he's going to go through in John chapter 3 here with Nicodemus is going to focus on the source of Jesus' power, which is God's spirit, God's influence, and how it works in this age. We need to clearly understand the phrase born again, Rick. First, the word born. Born means to procreate properly of the father, but by extension of the mother, figuratively to regenerate. And it's interesting, Rick, about this word born. In the King James Version, it it translates it nine different ways. <laughs> One word, and, and I'm just going to run through them real quick. Bear, beget, be born, bring forth, conceive, be delivered of, gender, make, and spring. This is fascinating. One word, all these trans different words of translation. So, and one of the things we need to understand is, okay, well, then how is it used in this particular instance? And that's really what we want to drill down to here in this first segment. So, as Jesus is going to be answering um, Nicodemus, it's interesting, Nicodemus said, you know, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, because nobody can do the things that you, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus is going to verify Nicodemus's uh, observation. Nicodemus said, God has got to be with you because nobody else can do these things. And Jesus is actually going to tell him, well, here's how. Here's how it works. Here's how I do these things. So we're getting to this phrase, born again. What does born again mean? Let's focus on the word born. You gave us the definition, and it's got a lot of moving parts to it, if you will. So we're going to go through three scriptures here, Jonathan, that show this word translated in the masculine sense of begetting. Not giving birth, because men don't give birth, but they beget, so the birth can happen later. So this is the masculine use of the word born. Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Okay, begat, okay? Conceived, there you go. Matthew one twenty. again, the masculine use of the word. But while he thought of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And Rick, that word ghost should be Holy Spirit, uh, because the King James mistranslates that word. And we're actually going to be getting to that later on in, in the podcast, that word spirit, in, in some depth. But again, that which is conceived... That's the male, uh, uh, the masculine translation of the word. And Philippians 1.10. Philemon, I'm sorry, wait, that's Philemon 1.10. It's not Philippians. That's what threw me off. Yeah, it's like, wait, wait, where's that one? (laughs) Oops. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten in my bonds. So the Apostle Paul says, I have begotten him in my bonds. Obviously, that's the masculine use of the word. Okay, those three examples were the masculine use of the word for born. Now let's take three examples of the feminine use of the word, which has the sense of actually giving birth, not begetting. Luke one thirteen. This is going to be the same word now. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Okay, when it says she'll bear a son, it means she's got it. The baby is going to be out. The baby That's is right. born. Matthew 2, one. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Okay, it's not when Jesus was begotten. 
Not when Mary was carrying the child, but when he was born. Again, it's the exact same word for beget and to give birth. Second Timothy 2.23, this is an interesting use of the word. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Now, the word for produce, they produce, is the word for, for born. born. Yeah. So, <laughs> ignorant speculations give birth to quarrels. And isn't that the truth? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so we've got these verses. Three of them were very, very clearly the masculine sense of begetting, and three of them were very clearly the feminine sense of actually giving birth to. So, Jonathan, just this is a simple thing to, to look at. What's our born-again truth in translation uh, conclusion for this simple beginning? The Greek word for procreate has two distinct shades of meaning one relating to begetting of like by a father, and the other to the giving birth to like the life of a mother. Okay, so begetting of life from a father and the giving birth, same exact word in the Greek language. This becomes very, very important as we move forward, so you've got to sit tight with all of this at this point. So this simple foundation clearly tells us to be careful in how we interpret things. And that sounds like a good life lesson. How do we know which shade of meaning Jesus was referring to? Does it even make a difference? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row, really easy playlist features, and you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Here is where we need to carefully observe the context of the use of this word for born and begotten. Why be so careful? Because if the word does mean born, it implies a life that is complete in its makeup and unalterable. If it means begotten, it refers to a life in a basic and formative stage. So Jonathan, this is an enormous difference, how we decide this word should be translated. And Bottom line, is not our decision. It, it comes down to context, and we'll get to that. But being born implies you're headed straight for heaven because you are born spiritually, and that's where you belong. Being begotten would, would mean that you are in a very, very developmental stage where things can go wrong as well as can go right. So very different. It is. So to firmly establish context, we need to understand the word again. We talked about born and begotten, and that word is going to f follow as born. Born again, what do these words mean? So again, let's go back to John chapter 3, verse 3. I know you already read it once, but you're going to read it now, and probably going to read it again later. You got it, brother. <laughs> Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, unless one is born, we've talked about that word meaning born or begotten, and the word again. What does that word mean? Well, Rick, it means from above, by analogy, from the first, by implication, anew. Okay, so the primary definition is not, again, a, like a repeat. It's actually from above. That's what the primary definition is. So what does it mean in this context? Can it mean again, 
or does it mean from above or from the first or something like that? Well, let's look at, uh, Jonathan, the next three scriptures we're going to look at are all in the book of John. And one of the ways that sometimes that helps you determine what a word really means is you look at how the author uses it in other places. Same author. Right. So John writes the book of John, and in John 3.31, which is actually the same chapter that we're in, this is Jesus speaking, but in a different context. So not only do we have the same author using the word, but we have the same speaker, Jesus, describing with this particular word. So John 3.31, a different context, but these are the words of Jesus. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Okay, so he that cometh from above, that's the word that means from above, no shock there, but it's very clear that it doesn't mean again, it means from higher, from a higher place. Now, this word for above or again, however you want to look at it, is used twice more in the book of John. So we're going to look at both of those. This helps us see, again, how John uses it. John 19, verse 11. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. And Rick, just the context of this verse This is the Sanhedrin and the Jewish religious leaders versus Pilate and Rome. And both were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. But Jesus is clearly saying the ones that turned you over have more culpability than you, Pilate. So given to thee from above. So, So the sense is from a higher place, whether it be in rank or actually spiritually higher. It's always meaning a higher place. And then the last time it's used... Same chapter in John, chapter chapter 19, but now verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Okay. And Rick, that word top is the same word for again, which we're looking at, born again, which is from above. And so... When we look at the book of John, we've got a contextual definition within the book of John, meaning it means from above, okay? Now, um, let, let's look at places other than the book of John, okay? Because so, we want to we be thorough, all right? So, and what we're saying, folks, is we are telling you at this point that we think that this word should absolutely be translated from above, not again. And these are all of the reasons why. Next use of this word is in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, and this, this, this use sounds like our saying, okay, Jonathan, take it from the top. Okay, just think about that as you read Luke chapter 1, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So, from the very first, take it from mm. the top. Okay, the beginning or above, you know, you got this sense of of something uh, in a different place or or a higher location from the very beginning is one of the uses of the word. The only other time this is really interesting, Jonathan, the only other time this word that's translated again in John three, three, you must be born again. The only other time it's translated again is in Galatians four, nine. But there's a caveat in this verse, and it's a very obvious one. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, and this is from the King James Version. But now, after that ye have known God, 
or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Now the word again is that word, you know, the, the Greek word. Yes. However, that word again actually comes from two different Greek words that are put together. Okay? And if you look in the concordance, you're going to see that. You're going to see that there's two different Greek words put together. So this other word, and it's Strong's number 3825, has the meaning of repetition. And a better translation than the King James Version actually separates the words out so it makes more sense. Galatians 4.9 from the New American Standard Bible helps us understand it a little bit better. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? So All over and again. Okay, so the all over, remember from above? Well, it's, it's literally using the word for over, higher, again. So here's the thing, Jonathan. Why are we making such a big deal of this? Because Nicodemus is being told something profound. And when we look at the way the words actually work, the typical translation of what is being spoken by Jesus, this profound teaching about, about spirituality, is misunderstood. So we're being particular to say, let's consider according to definition and according to context what the words actually mean so we can get what the meaning of what Jesus is saying is and not what everybody assumes it to be. So, yes, we're being very specific here so we can get to the bottom line. So we've got two conclusions that we want to get to. The first conclusion is on, based on what we just, just talked about for the word that's translated again but looks like above. What's that first conclusion, Jonathan? Well, again, in John 3... Verses 3 and 7 clearly means from above. Many translators verify that. Okay, so let's read these. Now, we're going to read from Young's literal translation, which uh, we're going to read John 3, verses 3, and then verse 7, exactly as it's written, and you'll see it, it, it uses the word above. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say to thee, if anyone may not be born from above, he is not able to see the reign of God. Thou mayest not wonder that I said to thee, if behooved ye to be born from above. Okay, so he talks about, in John and in, in uh, Young's literal translation, he gets that word above right. The word born, I would take issue with. And there are other translations that, that, that treat that differently. So we've got the word from above. So this, whatever is happening, is coming down from heaven. It's not being a, a repetition of something. It's something that comes down from heaven. So our second conclusion, which really, when you think about it, was last segment, has to do with the birth begettal question. And Jonathan, if you get the idea that it comes down from above, then that defines the way born slash begotten should be. Why? Well, because the birth begettal comes from above, we have no choice but to understand as the meaning begetting, not birth, as God is masculine. So if the begetting, begetting or birth, whichever you say, okay, well, it means this or that. If it's coming from God, it has to be begetting because God is masculine. 
You know, and we saw the Holy Spirit in, in, in the um, first segment, um, you know, Joseph in the dream, uh, that which is conceived in thy wife, thy wife is from the Holy Spirit, okay? It's from the sense of the masculine God. So to say the words born again actually mean begotten from above is incredibly scripturally logical, And Rick, that makes sense because begotten of the Holy Spirit, we would think first, God calls you to follow Jesus. Second, we accept that call. Third, God begets us with the Holy Spirit. And fourth, now it's up to us to be faithful to that calling. We got to work at it. So the begetting is a very, very early developmental stage beginning. That's really what you're saying. Absolutely. And when you look at all of the things, and interestingly, over the last two weeks, we talked about steps to get to heaven and, you know, the plan of salvation has redemption and justification and reconciliation and sanctification, you know, and glorification, all of, all those pieces. And we talked about the developmental process. And in terms of beginning, it really truly fits because when there's a begettle of a life, a human life, what it starts out as and what it ends up as, it looks entirely different. That's right. Same life from a same small, small, small start. But it builds into this, into this beautiful uh, reflection of what humanity is supposed to be. So what we're saying is when Jesus says, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is really saying, truly, I say to you, unless one is begotten from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's where we're going with this. So what is our born-again truth in translation point as we wrap up this segment? Well, the correct meaning of these verses is that Jesus is talking about being begotten from above, which is very different than being born again. It's very different. You think, well, what, are you, are, you just, are you just picking on the words? No, 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 no. We are talking about something that is really, really very important in our understanding of Scripture. It is amazing how two little words can so clearly define a message. And now we need to understand the message. With this clarity of definition in hand, our next question is, what was Jesus teaching Nicodemus? Have you seen our CQ Kids videos? They're short, animated, and fun stories that use the Bible to answer actual kid questions. Subjects range from Jesus to prayer and thankfulness to the hard stuff like Satan and dying. They're perfect for starting a Bible discussion at home or a short story before bedtime. They're also an entertaining way to begin a Sunday school lesson. Watch all the inspirational CQ Kids videos. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, what's next, Rick? As usual, Jesus has a very specific agenda in mind as he's talking with Nicodemus. He knows that Nicodemus is a learned Pharisee, and he knows that his coming by night was both a show of courage and some fear. Nicodemus wanted to know about Jesus, and Jesus would not disappoint him. So folks, we're talking about the idea of being born again, and we're suggesting that the words actually mean to be begotten from above. And what that does is that takes this context of John chapter 3, the early verses, and it gives us an entirely different lesson than we're used to in most Christian circles. So follow along with us on this, and if you you see it differently, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, There's lots and lots of ways to, to communicate with us. You can email us. You can go onto social media channels and so forth. But this is important. 
This is important, and we think that the scriptures are very, very clear. So, Jonathan, let's once again um, look at John chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to read verse 3 again uh, with that caveat in it, with that understanding, and then add verse 4 to it. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, which we now know means begotten from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? You know, and you've got this this question. Even though Jesus is showing Nicodemus the higher way of spirit-begotten life, Nicodemus is not perceiving the lesson. Because, frankly, I think it's taking him by complete surprise. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and, you know, he's focused on the earthly process of begetting and birth. And, you you, you know, you, you got to give him some space because this is like out of the blue. Like, what do you, where did this come from? And so there's a lot going on here. And we're going to get to a point about the kingdom of God in just a minute. So let's let's diverge from these verses for a moment, and let's look at a promise and a preview of this higher way that Jesus was talking about. And we go to Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, and he had just spoken uh, in parables to the crowds, and now he's with his uh, true followers, his disciples. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables, and he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. So he is quoting from Isaiah and, and the latter part of that verse, but he's saying, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, Jonathan, we know from many, many, many different podcasts that the kingdom of God refers to both the heavenly kingdom of God where the called-out ones of Jesus go to and are faithful to, and then we also know it refers to the earthly kingdom of God that Jesus said to pray for. Thy will be done, thy, ki- thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is because Jesus is focusing on spiritual things. He's talking about the spiritual heavenly aspect of the kingdom here. Okay, we won't And go when we go further along, that will be made plain and yeah, clear, won't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that's a subject all in itself, but uh, we, we won't go, go there from, uh, at this point. So the next scripture we want to diverge to before we get back to John is what spirit, the begetting of the Spirit actually looks like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And Rick, some of our Christian friends take this verse as a regeneration, regenerating. Is that a proper way of looking at it? Well, you know, it's interesting because in one of the, one of the, um, the extended uh, figurative definitions of the word for birth or born or begotten is to regenerate. And so you're right. A lot of our Christian friends look at these verses and say, well, this must be the regeneration then, because that could be one of the definitions. And I see where that is. But when you look at regeneration in Scripture, and, and Jonathan, we're not, this is not part of today's podcast, so, but we do have notes on this in the bonus material for Seeker Rewind, the show notes which is available to you uh, through our um, 
through ChristianQuestions.com. And it, it, it goes over the, the couple of times that regeneration is used in Scripture, and just bottom line is it is absolutely positively a future event, even from the time it was written in the New Testament. So this is not the regeneration that Scriptures talk about. No, it isn't because the Scriptures explain that to us. Okay, but thanks for bringing that up. Sure. Okay, so let's get back to the confusion of Nicodemus, because Nicodemus clearly wasn't getting what Jesus was saying. So now Jesus does something that I don't think anybody ever really talks about. He actually simplifies this profound lesson. And when you hear John chapter 3, verse 5, you're going to say, what? How is that simplifying? But we need to understand the context. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born that is begotten of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So how does that simplify the, the lesson? Well, <laughs> Jesus is speaking words now that Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, who is a teacher of the people, should recognize. He should understand the phrase, water and of spirit. He should get that. And, but he seems to miss that as well. It says that in verse 9. We'll get to that a little bit later. But Jesus, I think, is quoting from an Ezekiel prophecy. And that prophecy of, is of Israel's regathering. And Jonathan, the, the, the awesome, awesome part of this is that this is a prophecy that, folks, listen carefully. This is Ezekiel 36. We are watching this prophecy unfold in front of our very eyes. It takes a long time, but we are watching it unfold. And Jesus is quoting from this prophecy. Listen carefully. We'll take it in some pieces. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Okay. Haven't we seen Israel regathered and brought into their own land? Started way back in 1878 with that very first settlement named Peretikva, which means door of hope, which was another prophecy of the Old Testament. Then in verse 25, listen carefully. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. Sprinkle clean water. Remember, Jesus said you must be begotten of water. And then verse 26 in Ezekiel 36. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. So you have the sprinkling of clean water and the giving of a new spirit in this Ezekiel prophecy, a very powerful prophecy of the regathering of Israel that Nicodemus really should have known about. I'm sure he did know about it, but I don't think his mind went there because in the conversation he indicates he's still very, very confused. And then the... And part of this, verse 28 of Ezekiel 36. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Okay, so it's, it's a powerful prophecy, Jonathan. We've seen the beginning stages of it. We haven't seen Israel, the, the, the people truly cleansed yet. We haven't seen them with this spirit, with God's spirit within them. And, and let me just make, a, make a, a point that God's spirit being within the people of, of the land of, of the nation of Israel is very different than the begetting of the Spirit to the new creation that we read about uh, above in 2 Corinthians 5. It's very, very different, because the new creation is through Jesus, and it's to the reward of heaven, whereas this is 
through God's promises with earthly reward. God's Spirit still influences them, but they are not begotten of God's Spirit. That's the difference. So Jesus is alluding to this wonderful promise of regathering, care, and immense blessing. He's showing Nicodemus something that he knows is an example of, of, of living in God's blessings. Okay, so he's saying, I'm giving you a hint. Go to that prophecy that I know you know. It talks about this cleansing, this, 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 this cleansing issue that has to happen for your very nation. And then he says in John chapter 3, verse 6, something really fascinating. That which is begotten of the flesh is flesh, and that which is begotten of the spirit is spirit. Why does he say that? Because he said, okay, I'm referring to this Ezekiel prophecy to show you a physical sense of what I'm talking about spiritually. And he's saying that your nation, Israel, is begotten of the flesh. Okay, so this is, that's a fleshly promise. That which is begotten of the spirit is spirit. I'm talking to you about spiritual things, and I'm showing you a fleshly example of spiritual things. Does, does that make sense? It really does. So Jesus is helping Nicodemus by saying, okay, let me restate this for you in language that is more familiar. Look at this prophecy. Look at the importance of the cleansing of the, the people and, and, and the presence of God with them. And now think of it in terms of a spiritual thing. Something higher. Right. From above. <laughs> exactly. From above. So he's saying an earthly example of the call to godliness, and I'm speaking uh, 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 that I'm speaking of, but what I'm teaching you, Nicodemus, is a spiritual version of godliness, not an earthly one. That which is begotten of flesh is flesh. That which is begotten of spirit is spirit. So it's all coming into play. It's all, it's, the pieces all line up, and it's really a powerful, powerful lesson. So Jonathan, again, what's our born-again truth in translation here for this segment? Jesus is describing what being begotten by God's spirit looks like. He's describing a spirit-begotten, justified life in comparison to Israel's spiritually-led earthly life. A spirit-begotten, justified life compared to Israel's spirit-led earthly nation. Big difference, but along the same lines. And folks, if you didn't listen to the last two podcasts, you put those in place because it shows you the spiritual call and the earthly blessing for the everybody else. This is what this is all talking about. It all really does tie together. So Jonathan, you know what? This is profound. Jesus is teaching all of us what the amazing privilege of having God's Spirit brings us. If we are just begotten and not born of the Spirit, what about going here and there like the wind? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible Study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? The next few verses can be confusing as they seem to present something mysterious. The most important thing to remember here is to stick to the guidelines that these scriptures texts have already laid out for us. In these next verses, Jesus will now build on the foundation that he has already set. 
So, folks, as we look at this, we're talking about the idea of being begotten from above, not born again, but according to the Scripture, begotten from above. Jesus has just given Nicodemus an example, a physical example of the cleansing of water and, and, and the influence of God's Spirit in the lives of Israel in the future, and he's saying, but I'm talking to you about something even higher than that. So, Jesus has just defined earthly and spiritual natures as distinct. They're different. That's what he said. To enter the kingdom of God during the call of the gospel, you have to be begotten, not born, begotten. That is, a new life must start through the washing of baptism, the remittance of sins, and the receiving of God's Spirit. So now, Jesus has given that that, that uh, Ezekiel example, and he said, I'm differentiating between earthly and spiritual. And now we go to John chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be begotten again. Okay, so he's reminding him after giving that example, say, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be begotten again. You must be begotten, and again, and it's, it's begotten uh, from above. That's really what he's talking about. Uh, you must be begotten from above. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine to 50 helps us to understand what this looks like. Just as we have been born the image of the earthly, we also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So he's, again, talking about the distinction between the nature natures. Earthly nature, flesh and blood, can't inherit the kingdom. Okay? So you have be, been begotten. You are beginning the spiritual life. You're not born. You're begotten. It's beginning. It's starting because the natures are completely distinct. So this is important as, he, as, as Jesus is saying. Don't be amazed. You have, you have to understand you must be begotten from above. Now, Jonathan comes, John, John chapter 3, verse 8. You'd think that it would get simpler, but it doesn't. No, it doesn't, Rick. <laughs> it reads, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is begotten of the Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> because Jesus has been consistently talking about God's Spirit. We see this verse, okay? So, so again, follow the pattern that he's been, been, been talking about. We see this verse as speaking of how that Spirit works. And we don't believe that this verse is at all talking about the wind. No, no. Not, not even remotely. And you say, well, wait, how do you say that? That's what it just said. Hang on, we'll get there, okay? But we don't believe it's talking about the wind. Many translations bear this out, okay? Rotherham actually does a good job of this for, with the translation of John chapter 3, verse 8. The Spirit, where it passeth, doth breathe, and the sound thereof thou hearest, but knowest not, whence it cometh and whether it goeth. Thus is everyone who hath been born of the Spirit. Okay, and that word for born should be begotten. Okay, but you know, so Rotherham got the thing about. Remember, now he starts the verse with the spirit. Yes, he does. New American started the verse with the wind. That's right. The King James version started with the wind. Well, which is it? Is it the wind or is it the spirit? Well, Jonathan, what's the word for there? What, what's the, the the Greek word? 
Well, guess what, Rick? It means wind and spirit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here's the thing about that word. In the New Testament, it's translated spirit 342 times. Okay, it's translated wind once. Whoa. Really? Really. So let's get it straight. Okay, what are we talking about? And that one time is here. Why would that word be translated differently than every other time in the New Testament? Doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. And that's why we look at that and say, okay, it's got to be, it's got to be the Spirit. So the Spirit goes where it pleases, it, it doth breathe. So, Jonathan, there's several definitions here. There's the definition for the word for wind or spirit. There's the definition for the word blows, the definition for the word that it wishes, and then the definition for the word sound. Go through those quickly, and then let's put them together to make some sense. Sure. The word for blows means to breathe hard. Uh, the word for wishes means to determine, and the word for sound means a tone, by implication, an address for any purpose, saying or language. Okay, so when we look at this, and it says the wind blows where it wishes, uses three of those four words, right? Yeah. I think what it's really saying, and this is a very, very much a paraphrase using the definitions, is God's influence is felt where it means to be felt. I think that's what he's saying. God's influence goes to work and has its has its 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 effects in exactly the way God wants it to have its effects. So that gives you a sense of okay, that means that God is really in control of that. Of course. And it says and you hear the sound of it, so you hear the influence of it if you will. Okay? But now you got to get to the back part of the verse. But you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who's begotten of the Spirit. And it's interesting, the word for spirit at the end of the verse, that all the translations translate spirit, is the same word as wind at the beginning of the verse. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Why would you change it in the middle of one, uh, two sentences? That is a good point, Rick. So that's why we look at this and say, look, there, there's a bigger meaning here. We have to follow what the Scriptures say rather than what translation, what, 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 I'm sorry, what traditions bring us to assume. There's a difference between those two. So, so looking at these, Jonathan, okay, so Jesus is saying that God's Spirit breathes its influence where it will. You can discern, give heed to the effects, but you don't know where or who it will affect next. Okay, makes sense so far? It does, it really so does. So it's talking about the Spirit, and why is it so focused on the Spirit? Because that's what Jesus has been talking about the whole time. Trying to teach Nicodemus this lesson beyond earthly thinking. Yeah, and Nicodemus is having a hard time. And you know what? I understand him having a hard time. Sure. This is a big, big lesson. And so the last phrase, so is everyone who is begotten of the Spirit, I think really we can understand that to mean so it is with those who are begotten by the Spirit now, you don't know who will be affected next by that spirit. So, again, Jesus is spending all of his time basically confirming what Nicodemus said. Remember at the very beginning, Nicodemus says, Master, we know you are from God because nobody can do the things that you do except if they were from God. So Jesus is spending his entire time saying, let me explain to you how I do these things. It's because I have been begotten from above, and those who follow me will become, be, will, will be begotten from above. And he's saying that begettal from above is with the Spirit of God. 
that's how I do this. It's because my father's power is working through me. That's what makes it work. So when Nicodemus said, you're from God, he's saying, yes, you are right. And so, and I think that's why Jesus gets so profound with Nicodemus, because he made a statement. He's a Pharisee, okay? He makes a statement that says, you are God's. And Jesus capitalizes and said, says, not only that, I'm going to share something with you that is going to, this is vernacular, blow your mind. <laughs> Jesus didn't really say that. <laughs> okay, so now let's get back to um, looking through this verse and, and trying to understand it. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27, because this is focusing on how the Spirit of God does work in those who are begotten of that Spirit. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because it intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God's power and influence is active in the lives of true Christians. It is active, it intercedes, it helps us. Even when we don't know what to do, we've got God's power and influence working within us. Now, Jesus had God's power and influence working in him in a way that much bigger than with us. He was filled. Without measure, right, right Rick? Right, right. Complete. <laughs> right. It, the Spirit was overflowing out of him, okay, yes. for lack of a better way to describe it. With us, we have a small measure of that Spirit because we're such imperfect humans, we can't handle it. That's true. But God gives us this incredible blessing because we are called out. And like you said earlier, God has to call. We have to answer the call. Then we're justified and given the Spirit and reconciled with God. And then the sanctification that continues in our lives and that you know brings glory at, at the end. So what this is saying is that God's Spirit, again, John chapter 3, verse 8, God's Spirit is going gonna, is gonna to do what it will do. None of us can dictate what God's Spirit will do. It's going to affect who it will affect when it decides, when God decides it will affect them. So you, it gives us the sense of something much bigger. He's explaining this to Nicodemus. That's what John 3.8 is really all about. So let's wrap this segment up, Jonathan. What's our born-again truth in translation thought for this particular segment? Well, Jesus is furthering his lesson by showing that the power of God's influence is beyond our human comprehension and yet is available to us if we submit to his will. Beyond our human comprehension, beyond Nicodemus's human comprehension, beyond everybody's comprehension, and yet it's still available. That's an amazing truth. So, you know, when we look at this, you know, it's, it's, all of this is kind of mind-blowing. Jesus is telling a Pharisee things about God's Spirit he didn't tell anyone else. Begetting from above by an influence that is thoroughly God-driven, how does Jesus wrap Before this up? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. Jesus has given Nicodemus a glimpse of the things that would begin to happen after he was crucified, risen, and God's Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. That's what we were just talking about. 
He has delivered the coming call for spiritual Israel, described the coming call for spiritual Israel, and compared it with the future earthly blessing of fleshly Israel. Jesus essentially is telling Nicodemus God's plan. But, Jonathan, it's just beyond Nicodemus's ability to understand. Yeah. So, folks, we're talking about the idea of being born again really should be being begotten from above, and it's the beginning of a new opportunity for life. And Jesus is describing this to a very faithful Pharisee who comes to him by night and says, I know you're from God. I want to understand. And so Jesus gives him something to really, really work with. So Jesus is describing all these difficult, difficult things. What happens? John chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? (laughs) Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So Nicodemus was just, he was overwhelmed, okay? He, He didn't get the prophecy connection that we talked about earlier. The familiar prophecy and the glimpse of spiritual things yet to come were just too big for his mind. But you would have thought Nicodemus knew the promise to Abraham that in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth will be blessed. They'll be as the stars of heaven, spiritual, and the sands on the seashore, earthly. You'd think that's right there at the top of his mind. Well, you know, we'd like to think so. (laughs) And, you know, obviously he knows that. He knows that promise. But what I think is, and I, you know, I really don't know, but what I truly think is happening is he's standing there in awe and trying to follow this reasoning that he has never heard before. And, you know, sometimes, Jonathan, when you're faced with something that is so immense, you kind of forget. Sometimes you even forget your own name. Like, yeah. you're, uh, 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 what? <laughs> and, and I really think that Jesus was, was elevating him in such a way that it was just completely beyond him. So, you know, you look at that and say, well, why did Jesus do that? He did that for us. He did that for every Christian down through the age. And so now the question is, well, you know, and and let's talk about it. See, because Jesus asks the question when Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus' next question, which you just read, we're going to read again in a minute, is one which would test Nicodemus's authenticity and is seeking Jesus out. What does Jesus ask him? Remember, it was, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So you can look at that and say, whoa, he's being harsh. Like you're the teacher of Israel and you don't get this? But I think what he's doing is he's reaching into the heart of Nicodemus and saying, see what you need to learn. See how deep this is. You're right. I come from God. I've been given this power and influence of God to do these miracles and to do these teachings. And I'm showing you that you need to become elevated in your thinking because there's so much more than you have ever thought possible. To me, that's what's going on here. So at the beginning of the conversation, remember Nicodemus is called a ruler and a teacher, and he's addressed, uh, and he addressed Jesus as rabbi. Jesus, in turn, is challenging Nicodemus' own standing, for he knows the pitfalls of honor and position. We fast forward to near the end of Jesus' life in Matthew 23, verses 6 to 8, and we see Jesus speaking very specifically about the Pharisees and the dangers of their position. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. 
But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And Rick, that word rabbi means father. So, so in the Christian, in our Christian fellowship and, and and walk, we should never call Christian leaders father. You know, one is your teacher. You know, he's saying, it's it's me. <laughs> you know, Jesus is saying, it's me that you should be focusing on, not one another. The danger of power is being shown to us. And I think that Jesus, in John chapter 3, verse 10, by asking Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? He's challenging him to not get sucked in by the power. He's challenging him to be humble enough to learn. So, how would Nicodemus respond to this challenge uh, and this deep spiritual lesson that Jesus puts before him? The beautiful thing is, there, there's two things. First of all, we don't know a lot about Nicodemus after this. We know of two, two specific instances, but he would be proven faithful. Okay? First, his faithfulness is shown in a very quiet fashion in this next event that we're going to talk about where Jesus was preaching about being the source of living water. So this is John chapter 7, verses 48 to 51, and Jesus has caused an uproar through his teaching, and the Pharisees are really railing against it. So we're just dropping in on a small part of this context. John seven forty-eight to 51. No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus... He who came to him before being one of them said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? So Nicodemus essentially steps in the middle and says, Wait a minute. You can't be judging him. You can't be judging him. Our law doesn't allow us to judge someone unless we we ask him directly. Now the Pharisees react to this. We didn't read it, but their reaction to him is like, What are you, crazy? What, do you believe in him? Huh? Huh? What's going on? You know, they are not happy. But Nicodemus is essentially stepping outside of the pattern that the Pharisees had set. The the power trip. (laughs) Right. And he's saying, shouldn't we be abiding by our law? And that's the way he phrases it. Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him. So he's saying... Don't step outside the law. So he's showing faithfulness in a kind of a subtle way, but he's showing faithfulness in this experience. Later, his faithfulness is much, much more outward. We're going to fast forward to John 19, verses 39 to 40. Jesus has been crucified, and now we see Nicodemus uh, leaping into action as someone who deeply loves Jesus. Nicodemus who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen, linen wrappings with the spices as the burial custom of the Jews. So Nicodemus is the one who brings the myrrh and the aloes, and he wants to anoint the body to, to wrap it appropriately for burial. And, you know, the rest of the Pharisees were like, Glad he's dead. Glad he's gone. We can go on with our power now. And Nicodemus is honoring and respecting and caring for his Lord. And it, wow. It, it is. It's a powerful picture. What, what integrity and respect. Yeah. Um, it, his heart came shining through. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes the heart works far ahead of where the mind is able to grasp. 
And I am quite sure of Nicodemus' discipleship afterwards. And, and you know, whatever his, his road was, I, I can see him being one of those faithful, faithful ones to Jesus because he was challenged to be humble. And you can see how humble he was. And after receiving the Holy Spirit, I bet all those lessons came to light. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's what he meant. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you're right. I mean, you, you, you wonder at that, at those moments of, of recognition that I now understand. What a powerful lesson. So now Jesus wraps this piece of, of conversation up with John chapter 3, uh, verses 11 and 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So now Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, okay, I've been telling you things I know, and you're not accepting it. In other words, it's over your head. You're not being able to say, okay, I'm with you on this. He's not able to follow. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, Jonathan, in verse 12, it says, I, I, I told you earthly things. If you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? Well, he was telling him a whole bunch of heavenly oriented things, but he wasn't really telling him heavenly things. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, Jesus answers Nicodemus in earthly terms. Okay. What we've been discussing is he's talking about in earthly terms about his own, Jesus own present experience with God's Spirit, and the disciples' coming experience with God's Spirit. He could not mention the heavenly heavenly things beyond life on this earth to Nicodemus, because it would have been far beyond him. So he didn't talk to him about going to heaven. He didn't talk to him about, in my father's house are many, are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. He didn't talk to him about those things. Galatians 6, 15. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So, Rick, if we have the begettal of the Spirit, at death it leads to spirit birth, a new creation. Yes. So the new creation that is within us now is the begetting, is the kind of the embryo stage of our spirit life. It has to be nurtured and developed in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment where it can grow into a fully capable spirit being. Mature. Right, right. So there's a lot of growth that's involved there, and Jesus did not talk to him about the spirit birth. He talked to him about being begotten from above, but not about spirit birth. 1 John 3, 2 was something that was beyond Nicodemus at that point. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So John, and it's interesting that it's John again, much later, writing that there is something bigger about what is going to happen to us, and we just don't understand it. Jesus didn't even broach that. That's why he says, I, you know, I can't tell you of heavenly things because it, would have, it just would have been so far out of the realm of Nicodemus's ability to perceive. So Jesus isn't being cruel to him. He's just stating, look, you are here. You're at a point where you can only see and hear so much. I'm going to tell you more than you're capable of now 
because I know that later, once you have you are begotten from above, you will then be able to get it. So you know, it's just a beautiful lesson of how John chapter three verses one through twelve tells us about the the message of what being begotten from above is really all about. Let's go to uh, final scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and this is going to be Young's literal translation, so it's a little choppy, but it, it, it just it gives a, a good, clear meaning, uh, even though the words may be a little choppy. And the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we all, with unveiled face, the glory of the Lord beholding in a mirror, to the same image are being transformed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Being transformed from glory to glory. Remember the glory of humanity? Remember we talked about that last week and mm. about how humanity is the glory of the earth. And that's, that's why, right. why God created human, hum, the human race on, on this earth. So he's saying we're, in, we're being transformed from the glory of the human to the glory of spiritual even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what Jesus is talking about. You must be begotten from above. That's the whole point of it. That's where you start. Further on in John 3, it's interesting, Rick, verse 14, 15 and 16. I think when Nicodemus saw Jesus on the cross, he thought of these words that Jesus told him. And as Moses was lifted up in, in the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And the famous scripture that everyone knows is in this conversation with Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, all those things together later when he, I think, as you're right, rightly saying, gave his heart to the Lord, uh, all these things became so beautiful and inspiring to him. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, so we're reading these 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 words in the beginning of John chapter three, and hopefully we see them with with a new light and a new understanding that Jesus is laying out a profound process that we all need to to embrace because that's what the scriptures are telling us. Jonathan, our final born again truth and translation point. Jesus's emphatic teaching was that in this life we are begotten by God's Spirit from above. Spirit birth is when we are changed from glory to glory. Let's not forget that. That's what the scriptures are telling us. So folks, looking at this scripture again, it's so easy for us to say, well, are you born again? I'm born again. Know what the scriptures actually mean. Take a look at them. Understand the context. Understand the words. And then we can understand the teaching. And with the understanding of the teaching, we can see this incredible process that Jesus told to this Pharisee in the dark of night who said, I know you're from God. And Jesus blessed him by telling him things beyond his recognition at that point. But he blessed him because he loved him and he saw his heart. Are we really born again? No, but we are begotten from above. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about contradictions. Does the Apostle Paul 
contradict himself? And that's just part one. Does Paul contradict himself? What do we mean? Well, I guess we're going to have to talk to you next week. Till then. <laughs>